How wonderful it is to sing and worship our Savior. Amen. Please find your way in God's precious word to Romans chapter 13. Pastor Ryan and Pastor Jared has, have had secret meetings, and for some reason they thought it would be good that I'd be the one to preach on submitting to the government. <laughs> Don't know why. Just kidding. We all preach the word. Doesn't matter who preaches it. We're unified as elders when it comes to proclaiming the word of God. Now, as we have seen, Paul has been laying out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He has given us a beautiful picture of what the church body is supposed to look like, how the body of Christ is to be unified and how we are to love. It's easy to do, right? Sounds simple. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love yourself. <laughs> no. Sorry, I messed that up. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, that's a little different. You know, something we'll get to later, though. Paul says love is the fulfilling of the law. You ever contemplated that? Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love God and love others is what we are supposed to do. You know, I was talking to... Tyler and Molly uh, a couple weeks ago, and as we were talking, we found out that we had a lot in common, right? And Tyler's like, man, this is great. You guys are great. I was like, well, we're way easy. Hold that statement till you get to know me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right now, it sounds good. <laughs> and we did the same thing. We laughed about it. We both understood what we were saying. But, you know, what, what, what's going on? Relationships are not easy. Lasting relationships are not easy. It takes a act of God to make true relationships last. God has to intervene so that so that we will be able to love others and be unified with others. Amen. Amen. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I agree with what Mr. Burkett said. You cannot live out the Christian life without being a Christian. That, that is a great statement. You know, you, you just can't just start checking these boxes. It takes an act of God in the heart of man to be able to do what he has called us to do. So the word tells us as believers in Christ, we have to change the way we think. We have to change the way, the way we act. And God doesn't just tell us what to do and leave us to ourselves, as I said. No, God gives us the power to do what he's called us to do through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit changes our hearts. It guides us. It convicts us of sin. And he transforms our mind. Amen. We may stumble. We may fall. And when we do, we have to get right back on our feet ask for forgiveness, repent, and keep on walking the walk. That is what separates the church from the rest of the world. We are to be holy because he is holy. But listen, know this, as we study Roman, as we study these chapters in Roman, in Romans, we cannot approach these words as a checklist like Pastor Ryan said last week. We can't say, well, if I do this, I'll be holy. If I check this box, I'll be holy. This is what makes me holy. No, it doesn't work that way. I like what Adrian Rogers says. Holiness is not how we get to Christ. Christ is how we get to holiness. We can't live out the Christian life with her without first being a Christian. So let's read our text today. It's a continuation of how Christians are to think and act. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, 
Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one might, must, must be in subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So the word says, let every person be subject or let every person submit to the governing authorities. You know, th this brings up uh, what I like to call a big struggle for many. Over the years of preaching the word and, and counseling people, I have noticed that there is a there is a reoccurring theme submitting it's a big problem whenever i do a self-examination i have noticed that submitting is a big problem just me uh, okay all right now but think about this one of the big reasons that that many reject christ is that they do not want to submit to jesus and his authority you see, if one were to say, yes, I accept the free <laughs> gift of salvation. I'm a sinner who is in need of a savior. Then when they say that, then that means they would have to submit to Jesus and make him the Lord of their life. And fallen man doesn't want to do that. They do not like to submit. But the word tells us to submit in many places. Here's a few texts if you want to scribble them down. James 4, 7, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted to the Father. Romans 8, 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you submit to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as, the Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Titus 3.1, remind the people to be subject, that is, submit to the rulers, authorities, to be obedient and be ready to do whatever is good. 1 Peter 2.13-14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong 
and to commend those who do right. There's a theme here in the scriptures. We must submit. What Peter wrote here goes right along with what Paul wrote in, in our text here in Romans. And what we see is submitting to authority is a biblical command. Our text today is pretty simple, or it seems kind of simple, right? It tells us to submit to the, gov to the government. The word says that the government is an institution that is, uh, that is established by God, and God has given the governments of the world two duties to do. One is to apply punishment to those who do evil. The other is to protect those who do good. So our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to submit to the government and pay our taxes. We'll get to the taxes next week. So don't get all upset yet. But both are simple to do here in America, right? Submit to the government, pay your taxes. Everybody loves that, right? Simple, easy, just kidding. You see, as believers, we struggle with this simple command. Why? Because we see the government doing things that do not line up with the word of God. We don't like the moral choice, choices the government is making. We don't agree with many of the programs and executive orders that they have set in place. And so what happens, especially now that we have social media in play, we get rebellious in our hearts. We have rebellious rebellion in our hearts. And some carried as far as to start a rebellion against the government that God has set in place. But that's not what God told us to do. You know, I was thinking about, as I was studying for this message, I said, you know what? This may not be a popular message to a nation that got its start by overthrowing a government. <laughs> Study your history. There was a big struggle there. There was a big fight. Some were saying, hey, we don't do this. Some were saying, yes, we have to, you know? So you got to look at that. There's a, there's, there's a lot going on there. Not a lot going on there. So I won't go there today. Just think about it as you as we walk through this text. But there is one point that we all have to understand as we look at this text. This is why these verses, this, these verses do not seem so simple. When the scripture says that every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, it did not say submit to only the good governments. It doesn't say that. When the scripture tells us to, to, to submit to the governing authorities, it did not say only submit to the governments that you like or agree with. Verse one is an unqualified statement, meaning it doesn't specify who those governing authorities are. The word doesn't specify what subjection might mean under those authorities. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the word commands us to be subject subjected to the government, to the governing authorities, whoever they are and whatever they are. Depending on where you live, this could be a real struggle for some. There are not many governments in the world like we have in America. Trust me, if you look around America, there are many that have it a lot worse than we did. A lot worse. Just read the Voice of the Martyrs. That'll give you an idea. Now, with everything that's going on in America today, I've heard many say, well, the way this country is headed, Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back tomorrow, today. They will say, look, they have taken God out of government. They have taken prayer out of school. The end is here. 
And you know, Jesus may come back before I finish this sermon. That, that's true. Not that my sermon's going to be that long. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus could come back at any moment. But, but that doesn't mean, listen, when we see this stuff, it doesn't mean we give up the fight. Okay? As we see our, our government changing, our nation changing, it doesn't mean we give up the fight. We are in a battle, but we have to know who our battle is with. Is it, worth, is it with our earthly leaders? Not so much. What does Ephesians chapter 6 tell us? Finally, chapter, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, we have to, as believers, understand where the battle is, and we have to know how to fight this battle. We get confused sometimes on how we fight this battle, but the word tells us that there is one way to do it, and that is to pray. Verse 18 tells us to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, that's where the power is. That's where the victory is. So when we hear that they have taken prayer out of school, don't be defeated. There's not one person on this earth or anything on this earth can stop any one of us from praying as long as we have a heartbeat. You know that? They can be staring you right in the eye. They can put a gun to your head and they can't stop you from praying. No matter what, whoever or whatever government we are under, they cannot take away our ability to pray and worship our Lord and Savior. Amen. In our hearts, we can pray and worship all day long. Prayer in school is awesome. Yes, we need that. But do not feel defeated. God is at work. And listen, if you teach your children how to pray at home, they will know how to pray at school. They don't need the authorities to tell them how to do that. They will know how to pray everywhere they go. They will be well equipped to go out into this world. This world can't stop us from praying. As a matter of fact, the more persecution we see, the more we are to pray. Don't be distracted with the things of this world. Don't focus more energy on fighting these earthly battles than we do with the spiritual battle. This has been convicting to me. I had to do a self-examination. I hate when I do that. Just... But anyways, I had to ask myself, do I spend more time on social media looking at all of this political stuff than I do in the word of God? Measure your time. Do I spend more time criticizing our leaders than I do praying for them? Self-examinations, they do us good. As believers, we are to transform our minds, right? Think about where the battle is and where we are focusing our energy and time, amen? Now, with that said, I believe it will do us good to look at the government that existed at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Before we say, hey, it's really, really bad here, let's just take a look at what was going on back then. They did not have a quote voted in president. They had kings. Caesar was a king. He had absolute power. He was the law. He was the leader of the army. 
He was in control of the Senate. He controlled all civil affairs and he could do exactly what he wanted to do at any time he wanted to do it to any person. All the power of the entire Roman Empire was vested in one man. He was even deemed to be a God and to be worshiped. That's what Paul was dealing with as he wrote these words. That's what Paul was dealing with when he said, submit to the authorities. You know what, let's go back a little bit. Let's look at the government that was in control of Palestine when Jesus came on the scene. King Herod, he was a king with great power. Was he a good guy? Not so much. Did he use his power in a godly way? I don't think so. He was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. He had such unilateral power that if he desired, listen, if he desired, he could order that all male babies under the age of two to be murdered and no one would question him. The government was not so good. Slavery was rampant throughout the land. Taxes were heavy. Everyone hated paying taxes because the tax collectors were extortionists and thieves. They were abusers of the people. The Jews hated being under the control of the Romans. They were oppressed. They were an underprivileged minority with no voice in the Roman government. They paid heavy taxes to their Roman tax master with absolutely no say in what they did with the money and no say in how they governed. That's what they were doing. I bring this info up so we can have a backdrop as we read this text so we can better understand what God is saying. We can't say, well, Paul doesn't understand what we're going through. He did, and some. We can't say, well, Jesus really doesn't call us to, to, to submit to unfair governments, does he? He doesn't understand what we're living in. He does, and some. The judicial system was not fair to him, to say the least. And on top of that, he was put to death on a Roman cross innocent of the charges. Both of them lived under a government that was far from fair and far from glorifying God. So as we think about what we've just heard, let's walk on through our text again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So we are to submit. And we submit because we know that all authority is established by God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Civil authority comes directly from God. Listen, God designed three institutions for mankind on this earth to bring order. The first one is the institution of marriage. God designed, the very, designed in the very beginning the institute of marriage. And out of that marriage would come family, which is the basic unit of social life. The family marriage is an institution created by God. The second institution is the church. In the Old Testament, we see it as a covenant people Israel, and now we understand it as the church. God has a people whose life he leads, controls, and orders as they walk on this earth. They are the standard of righteousness in terms of morality and conduct. God has instituted a people to be salt and light in the world. 
the church is an institution created by God. And the third institution which God, which God has ordained is civil government. We just read in our text here in chapter 13 that God ordained civil government for the protection and the preservation of social order and for the punishment of those who do evil. Without government, we have chaos. The absence of social order and civil authority and government is a disastrous time for all. We, we could see it happening now. You know, when they take the police out, what do we see? Chaos. We see absolute chaos. I had a buddy who was in the Iraq war. <laughs> And he told me that he was talking to some locals outside of the city. And they said to him, they said, it's worse now than when Saddam was in office. And he, looked at, he said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Jimmy asked, how's that? And he said, well, at least we knew where the evil was coming from before. Now we never know who will be kicking down our doors. Something to think about. It was a free-for-all, chaos during that time. Even as bad as the government was, it was better than no government at all. Civil government is an institution created by God. All three institutions were created for the good of people. Something to take note of. When it, when it comes to government, when it comes to order, there's something built into the fabric of human life that tends towards bringing order to chaos. It, it, it's in us. E even in those places where there is no regard for the Bible, there is a great commitment to order and law and a desire that chaos be brought into control. I, I think about it as we watched the, over the past years and the riots and stuff. If you see, I like out in Seattle, man, they said, all right, this is a, a autonomous zone. And the first thing they did was put up walls and and started guarding the place with guns and set up a government, you know? We want no government in this autonomous zone that we're gonna set up our government in. It, it, it's, it's, it's in us. We don't like chaos. We don't want chaos. It's not good when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Now, when scripture says that all government comes from God, that means that, listen, no tyrant ever ceased power but a, sovereign, but a sovereign God had to allow. And somehow with the sovereignty of God, it fulfills his purposes. He providentially works it to his end. You know, that's a tough one to take in. You know, me, me and Chris Day was struggling with this the other night. We were talking about this text, you know, what, what about bad government, good government, you know, how, how does this work? How do we balance this with God's word? Well, I think we have a few examples of, in the word that will help us better understand this. I want to go back to chapter nine. Remember what we learned about Pharaoh in chapter nine? The, uh, do you remember what uh, uh, God said? The reason that he let Pharaoh live? Pharaoh was an evil man who deserved death at that very moment. But listen to what God says. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might, yeah, I raised you up, I allowed you to live, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Think about this. Think about if you were one of the Hebrew people living under the rule of Pharaoh and you were trying to overthrow the government 
according to our text today, you would be going against God. The Hebrew people cried out for God's help, but they didn't try to overthrow the government. They submitted to the authorities and God was glorified in the end. That's tough. You know, people, people think that it's easy to overthrow and establish a government. <laughs> it's not that easy, people. It doesn't just happen. You know, you know what? We're mad. We're going to go. No, no. It's more difficult than you think. Be careful. But God took what was bad and turned it into good. And he was glorified when it was all said and done. God does that all the time. Do not forget that the early church was scattered because of what? A bad government. Was God glorified? Absolutely. Paul, under the authority of Rome, was chasing Christians all over the countryside with the intent to kill them. He was going as far as he could to go, go get them. But God took what was bad and turned it into good. And he was glorified when it was all said and done. Now, follow me here. This truth we have to understand when it comes to bad governments, because that's what we struggle with. We see a bad government doing evil things and we struggle with it. When there's an evil person in power who abuses the people, that type of government, listen, is no reflection of God's nature. When the word says that the government is ordained by God, it means as a principle, in a sense. Evil and unfair governments are not what God wants in place, nor are they reflective of his nature. And some will say, well, he allows it. Yes, he does. We live in a fallen world. And all I know is that God doesn't address that, but he does tell us how to respond to an evil or unfair government. Does he? Well, that's not fair. I don't think we want to go down the road of what's fair, do we? We would be struck down the first time we sinned against God. That would be fair. I don't think we want that. So the three institutions that God ordained. Look at this. The first one, marriage. God ordained marriage, right? But not every marriage is reflective of the character of God. In some marriages, you have abuse, cruelty, and the destruction of the home. But none of that reflects the character of God. But the institution that God ordained still stands. Same principle applies to government. Abuses do not deny the divine authority in any of God's institution. To, to, to be honest, we live in this fallen world. Man messes up all the gifts God gives us. We just keep messing it up. We live in a fallen, wicked world, and men are sinners and come short of the glory of God, and their tendency is to abuse all of God's gifts. When our marriages are not God-honoring, they break down. That means that the society breaks down and life becomes chaotic. Sin destroys marriages. Apostasy tears the church apart and abuses, and abuses in the government destroy the good that government can do. But abuses do not, in any sense, diminish the truth that these institutions are ordained by God. They are created by God for the good of the people. We need these institutions to have order in our society. When they do right, what do we see? 
God-honoring order. When a marriage is done right, God is honored. When the government is done right, God is honored. When the church does right, God is honored. A healthy marriage thwarts evil. A healthy church stems evil. A healthy government does the very same thing. But do you know, it all starts with each individual in our hearts and then in our homes, then in the church body, and then into the community and to the government act. The word says God has ordained government for the protection of life and property. God has ordained government for the uh, reposition of evil and crime. And God has ordained government for the rewarding of the and virtue of good. That's how it's supposed to work. But sinful man messes it up. I can't help but think about Paul as he wrote this letter under Roman rule. He had been treated badly by the authorities. He had been unjustly jailed. He had been unjustly beaten. He had been unjustly whipped. It would be a Roman soldier who was under the authority of Rome that ends up beheading Paul, the man who wrote that every government is instituted by God and to submit to them. He ends up being killed by a perverted government. That doesn't mean that what the government did to Apostle Paul was a noble act because God allowed this. No, it wasn't. But the institution of government, with all its failures and abuses, is nonetheless designed by God for the protection of life and property. It is to punish evil people and the reward and to reward good. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, let's go to the scriptures and see. How do we respond to this? First Timothy 2.1, write that in your margins. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. You see that? First of all, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is Christianity in action. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our government. This, this is how Christians respond to leaders. We pray. Like I said, I have to look at myself. Do I pray more for my leaders than I do criticizing them? Where do I spend more time? We pray for our leaders, it transforms the mind. When we pray for our enemies, it transforms our mind. We do this so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Man, praying for somebody will change your heart. It, it does an incredible amount of, of work in the mind and in the heart. We have to pray. And look, look, verse three should, should, should send chills down our spine. It says, when we pray for God-ordained governments, it is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. <laughs> this is how God wants his people to live. God does not want his children going around killing people, being a zealot, or starting a revolution. He wants his people to pray like Daniel did when he was in captivity in Babylon. Go back and look at that one. 
How do we respond? Titus chapter three, write that in your margins. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Again, you have to think about this, that, that, that our battle is not with that person, those people. We have to understand that the ones who do not know God, when we look at them and say, hey, they do not know God, they are doing, they're just doing what they know. They don't know better. Just look at it, what we just read. Just as we did before the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, revealed himself to us. That's where we were. So what do these lost people need? They need prayer and love, just as we did when we were lost. Pray, love, be obedient, and be ready for every good work. That is how we influence the world. If we want to change our leaders, Scripture says live a quiet, peaceable life, a life of godliness, a life of prayer on behalf of our leaders and authorities that rule over us. That's how we change this world. Think about that. Think about the change that could happen if the entire church body, not just here, the entire church body, just say in America, in the world, prayed that the grace of God would pour out on our leaders. And let's say God saves him and transforms him. Think about what a change would happen then. Think about how much better and longer lasting that change would be. That's how we change this world. Through quiet, peaceful life, full of prayer is how we respond to authority. Peter gives us no, no, uh, no exceptions in his text here. Paul gives us no exceptions in Titus, Timothy, or in Romans. None of them. Now, here's what happens when we live a quiet, peaceful life with a submissive attitude towards those over us and pray for their salvation. When we don't live like that, this is what happens when we don't live like that. Guess what happens? We forfeit our testimony. We lose our credibility. How does that happen? Because we're no different than the world. We're not set apart. We are called to be holy because he is holy. We have to look at the people who are in leadership position, who are in as our mission field. We really do. We, we can't be have anger towards them all the time. We got to be praying for them. It is a mission field. Now that brings up another question. Now, where does the authority of the government end? 
it ends when the government forbids us to do what God commands us to do. That's where it ends. That's where it stops. We do what God commands us to do, but we must be prepared. Be prepared. When the government mandates what God forbids and we choose to obey God, be prepared to accept the consequences. It's going to happen. Again, me and Chris were wrestling with this text. He made a good point. He said, if you look at all the martyrs in the world, Voice of the Martyrs and uh, uh, what's that book you had? Uh, yeah, that's the one. Uh, but we said, if you look at all that, the ones who have given their life for the sake of the gospel, you know, in these countries where, you know, dictatorship or whatever, and they've outlawed the gospel, they did not lose their life by trying to overthrow the government. They lost their life because of their faith in God. That's what they lost their life. Look around the world. Same story everywhere. Government outlaws Christianity and the people do not obey. They end up doing whatever they can to love, to pray, to worship our Lord and Savior, even if it costs them their life. Which one really makes a change in this world? Dying in a revolution or giving up your life because of your faith in God? We do what God commands us to do and we accept the consequences. That's what separates the believers in Jesus from the rest of the world. Second Peter 2.12 says this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is how we silence the ignorance of foolish people. We do not silence them by yelling louder than them or causing a riot. We do it with love, prayer, and good deeds. And know this, people. Listen, I'm not saying that we do not attempt to make a change in our government ever. No, no. America is a special country for now. We're allowed to let our voices be heard. Right? We pray. We write our representatives. We vote. We support the ones who are doing good. We do what is right by the laws of the land. We, we, give every, we use everything that is at our power. We don't go silent by no means. We take advantage of the rights that we have in America as long as we have. You know, one time they were going to kill Paul. And Paul said, hold on, wait, wait, I'm a Roman citizen. You know, he had rights as a citizen, as a Roman citizen. He used the government for his protection, but he did it in a peaceful way. And he continued to proclaim the gospel. So as you can see, these texts are not so simple. I think we have a lot to think about as believers. These texts are very challenging to all of us. 
But that's what I like about God's word. He doesn't just say, oh, you're a Christian and I fixed everything in your life and you're good to go. Go be happy, happy. It's not like that. doesn't work that way. So let's wrap this up and put a bow tie on it. And we'll do it by looking back at chapter 12, verse 1 here in Romans. We see that God has called his people out. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that's an important statement when it comes to our relationship with our government, right? Look on down to verse 17. He says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And right after Paul says that, he rolls right into submitting to the government. And what we have to see is here, what we have to look at, though, is that a corrupt government can be an enemy it's an enemy and we are to respond just as god has instructed us to respond to our enemies if we are persecuted we are to bless and not curse we as believers are called to live godly lives in this world we're called to demonstrate righteousness to pursue righteousness call for righteousness uphold righteousness we are called to proclaim the word of god to all the nations we're called to live out these truths in a godly way. And we do it all for the glory of God through the power of God. So as we leave today, remember who and what our battle is with. Do good and pray and pray and pray and pray. Amen. That's the right.